Okay, welcome back. I am Dr. David White. This is week seven for CRIM 305, a lesson on positivism and empiricism, what might otherwise be called scientific rationality. In science, the scientific method is a process of making an observation, forming a hypothesis about a phenomenon, and testing your ideas through formal experiments that follow logical, systematic procedures that can be replicated by others. Collectively, over time, scientists accumulate a body of knowledge that better explains different phenomena. The social sciences involve the study of society and social behaviors and relationships. This includes the criminal justice sciences, which focus on, of course, the evaluation of crime control efforts, as well as other aspects of the functioning of our criminal justice system. Research in criminal justice helps advance public policies by identifying what works and what does not work in policing and corrections, and it ultimately informs public policymakers about the effectiveness of certain programs. In some cases, we never fully understand what works and what doesn't, so we're forced to go with what's promising. Regardless, in today's world, we often refer to the incorporation of research and practice in public policy by referring to evidence-based practices. Evidence-based practices are those efforts in the field that are based on what is known to work, what is developed through research evaluations that clearly demonstrates effectiveness. Socrates and other philosophers throughout the ages speak to the relationship, and we covered this in an earlier module, between truth and knowledge. Knowledge shares a special relationship with truth in that they are joined to one another. So as future criminal justice practitioners, you need to recognize that you, the, the moral responsibility that you will have to apply evidence-based practices in the pursuit of justice. That is to say, we would not want to use strategies that are known to not work, or even worse yet, to have backfire effects. Backfire effects are those policies or programs that actually make situations worse. When considering the moral responsibility to apply the best science of the day, consider that modern medicine was built on years, or has been built on years, of very high quality research. We trust our doctors to treat our illness uh, with the most advanced understanding of disease, and we would find it terribly unethical, even criminal, if the doctor tried to apply the medical science of the 1850s or even the 1950s to our illness. In the same way, criminal justice professionals have an ethical responsibility to apply today's best practices and the best science. To understand this responsibility, you need to know a few basics about social science research. In the information age that we live in, uh, it is important to be informed consumers of information so that you're not misled by bad research or ideological propaganda. Uh, our objectives then for this module cover just a basic understanding of scientific rationality. We want to identify common sources of research that are acceptable as evidence and evaluate the ethical responsibility of criminal justice agents to apply evidence-based practices, critically assessing, of course, the limits of scientific rationality. The scientific method. 
we tend to trust scientific findings because they are based on the scientific method. This process starts with a value-free opinion, which is generally stated symbolically as the null hypothesis. That is, you, uh, if, you, if your hypothesis is that there is a relationship between X and Y, the null hypothesis is there's no relationship. Through systematic testing and observation, you either confirm the hypothesis and reject the null, or you fail to reject the null. Using this method, science relies on observable facts to validate suspected relationships, rather than simply an opinion that X and Y are related. As scientists work over time to better understand something, they work towards the accumulation of knowledge, and therefore research either confirms or rejects the work of previous studies, or it builds on previous work uh, to answer new questions not yet addressed by the existing studies, the extant research. To demonstrate that scientific methods employed by researcher are valid, they are required to demonstrate their methodology and the fact that their methodology meets methodological demands expected by scientists in the field. This is done by having uh, the research results reviewed by competent peers before getting them published in, quote, peer-reviewed journals. The peer-reviewed process is blinded, meaning that the journal editor sends the findings to known experts who get to remain anonymous to the researcher and therefore feel no pressure to approve or reject the report. If they believe the research is legitimate and follows the proper methods, then it's generally approved. If not, it's rejected. This is what makes peer-reviewed articles more legitimate than other types of published content. Additionally, all peer-reviewed research publications are expected to explicitly describe at least three important aspects related to their work. First, researchers are compelled to summarize what previous researchers have said about the topic. This appears as the literature review in most journal articles. This section demonstrates the researcher's knowledge of the subject and relates previous research efforts to their particular research question, explaining how and why the research adds to the current body of knowledge. Second, researchers are, are uh, forced to describe their methods. By explicitly stating their methodology, researchers demonstrate that they use appropriate scientifically founded methods to reach their conclusions. This confirms the validity and reliability of their findings and even allows other researchers to replicate their studies. Finally, researchers are required to express the limitations of their research. These are usually found near the end of the article, and these three elements help ensure that the science behind the study is valid and reliable. Positivism and the Structure of Scientific Revolutions From a philosophical standpoint, the reliance on science is associated with what we call positivism, which is a school of thought that believes that all true knowledge is derived from direct observations and not from belief, and that scientific methods must be used if results are to be considered valid. Positivists sometimes come across as cold, overly rational individuals who pay little attention to human emotion or to the concept of what we call lived experiences. As such, their focus tends to make them concentrated more on the mean, on the middle of things, um, things that they can explain even to the point of excluding or discounting 
outliers, those things which don't fit their normal expectations. Thomas Kuhn, 1970, questions the strict reliance on positivism in his famous book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. According to Kuhn, science toils along in this process described uh, whereby there's a gradual accumulation of knowledge, test and retest, and then that leads to new questions and there's accumulation of knowledge. This knowledge is based on and limited by the field's current uh, paradigm, their paradigmatic thinking, and he refers to this period as, quote, normal science. Occasionally, however, something comes along that challenges the scientific paradigm, that causes a paradigm shift in the way that the field interprets things. This revolution causes scientists to question previous assumptions and to make new assumptions. This process then repeats itself in a cycle between periods of what he refers to as revolutionary science and then that period of normal science. So we uh, pass through a process of revolutionary science that then digresses and settles back into a pattern of normal science for a while until the paradigm has changed once again. Be careful with science. Kuhn's work helps point out a much broader point concerning scientific knowledge. That is, the scientific knowledge, while accepted as truth, is never really truth. It is only the prevailing truth. This is subtle, but it's important to understand that while knowledge and truth share a relationship with one another, knowledge is not necessarily truth. The current knowledge or understanding of a particular subject uh, among even experts in the field is constantly being challenged by the scientific process and scientists work towards a greater understanding of, quote, truth. Scientists accept that an existential truth exists beyond the current knowledge of the topic, and therefore it's acknowledge, it acknowledges either explicitly or implicitly the gap between knowledge and truth, which it works to minimize. Despite our willingness to rely on science, we have to be careful how we try to apply it. The association between science and criminal justice dates back to the 19th century, and some examples of early positivist thinking led to the application of some unusual concepts. One such concept was phrenology, which is the study of the shape of the skull and bumps on the head to determine whether these physical attributes were linked to criminal behavior. Lombroso, another individual in this tradition, studied body types, somatotypes, and believed that uh, some people were born criminals because they were, genetically speaking, more primitive and had not fully evolved um, as others had, more rational humans. Uh, this is referred to as atavistic, uh, an atavism, which means that they're an evolutionary throwback. While these early examples may seem archaic to us today, they should serve to remind us that there are ethical considerations in how science is applied in criminal justice. In today's world, there is a lot of information available, and it's up to us to be good consumers of that information. And this starts with a better knowledge of these different resources, the different types of information that are out there. So I want to cover those. Different types of research studies. First, there is the case study and qualitative research. The simplest uh, of all research efforts is perhaps the case study. As the name implies, it um, 
gives an analysis of a particular case or incident, allowing the readers to determine the meaning and perhaps suggesting how the case illustrates a larger point. These findings are usually descriptive and sometimes lead to other questions that can be addressed through more rigorous scientific methods. Likewise, qualitative research often see, seeks to document individuals' lived experiences. In a qualitative nature, uh, this measures something as opposed to quantitatively measuring something. Okay? And so quantitative deals with numbers, whereas qualitative generally deals with lived experiences. These studies uh, can be very informative and they do a good job of documenting subcultural aspects of society, uh, but again, they are not as scientifically rigorous in many ways as other types of research, not to say that they are not scientific. Cross-sectional research, research uh, that involves measuring a cross-section of a population, usually through some type of survey research. This type of study is perhaps the most frequent in criminal justice. Cross-sectional samples, when randomly constructed or purposefully measured, uh, can tell us something about uh, the larger population. That is, they are generalizable to the larger population. When done correctly, uh, uh, cross-sectional research can be very valuable, but there are a number of ways the results can be biased. Randomized control trials are studies where participants are assigned randomly either into a test group or a control group, and the results of the test group are compared to the results of those in the control group to determine the effect. While medical profession, uh, professions, I should say, are good at using randomized control trials, uh, they are not as common in social science research. However, uh, they do produce much more conclusive and generalizable results than other forms of research, and that's why randomized control trials are considered the gold standard. One other aspect here of uh, the research that you find is meta-analysis or systematic reviews, particularly uh, since randomized control trials are not as common in social science research, researchers often look to the meta-analysis or systematic reviews to determine the current state of knowledge on particular topics. In both processes, researchers pull together all the studies that they can find about a particular issue and compare the methods and results of each study synthesizing the findings in a way that summarizes everything. This process is helpful in determining whether repeated cross-sectional research results point towards common conclusions regarding whether something works or not. Moving on from some more of the academic sort of research and information that's out there for evidence-based to government reports. Federal government is responsible for collecting and reporting a lot of data relevant to criminal justice professionals. These reports often help us understand how our local community is doing in relationship to national trends, and it helps us with emerging issues such as uh, radical increase in heroin fentanyl overdoses uh, below, uh, or I should say in the module rather. Um, there are a number of these different types of publications listed so that you can click on the various links from the FBI's Uniform Crime Report to LEOCA data, uh, data uh, law enforcement officers killed or assaulted in line of duty, uh, law enforcement management administrative statistics, and many others. So I encourage you to take a look at some of those government-based publications. What's sometimes helpful but not necessarily evidence-based uh, research 
are those uh, articles that you find in trade publications. Trade publications are those newsletters, magazines, and other publications or online resources directed towards people working in the field. For example, the International Association of Chiefs of Police puts out a monthly magazine titled The Police Chief. This publication goes out to all ICP members. While some of the stories highlight current research, many of the articles are written by police chiefs, others from around the country working in the field on particular topics of interest. So in that way, they're kind of more like a case study. These types of publications connect you to the problems and concerns other professionals in the field are facing. They can illustrate anecdotes and case studies from the field that may be relevant to some issues you face, and therefore they may help encourage collaboration or evaluation of issues in more meaningful ways. Trade publications are sometimes web-based, and so these sites similarly publish content relevant to working in the field. Like many of the trade publications, the sites can be informative and connect you to current issues. The FBI publishes the Law Enforcement Bulletin. Uh, they used to publish it in print and now is completely online, simply known as the LEB, Law Enforcement Bulletin, a very well-known uh, trade publication. And similarly, Police One, the American Police Beat, these are some other examples. Criminal justice research shortcomings, two things severely limit criminal justice from making the best use of research. First, political influences are often more important to citizens than academic findings. Political ideology about what's right or wrong, what should be done or not done, often boils down to a person's worldview. With that said, the academic world at least tries to appear fair and unbiased in their research. They follow scientific methods, they make clear their methodology and uh, limitations in publication, and they subject their work to the independent review of their peers. However, what has become more popular today is the idea of policy centers. Policy centers and policy institutes are often nonprofit organizations affiliated with or funded by one political party or the other, or by some particular special interest group. Research from policy centers generally starts with the center's ideological viewpoint and then works outwardly to find, exploit, and to even fabricate research to support their ideological position on public policy matters. As such, they generally present their findings as though it is sound research, uh, and they do not make clear their methods, and they have not subjected that work to any outside review from uh, independent reviewers. This results in misinformation and even in propaganda. Be careful in using policy center research uh, in research papers or relying on their research once out in the field. There are, of course, a few exceptions. The Pew Research Center, P-E-W, Pew Research Center, has a well-established reputation among both liberal and conservatives for high-quality research. So there are some policy centers out there that try to remain independent, but again, those are few and far between. Second issue here that hinders criminal justice research uh, is that social issues emerge, change, and require prompt action, and in some cases they also disappear very quickly without rhyme or reason. Researchers sometimes struggle to develop good quality research and publish their results in a timely manner. Too often, by the time the research comes out, the issue has already been addressed in public policy. Take body-worn cameras, for example. We assume that they will make things better, but after Ferguson, millions of dollars 
of taxpayer dollars went to equip officers around the country. And the uh, only research that had been done was a small handful of single agency evaluations uh, that were poorly constructed. Even today, uh, the most recent uh, review shows that the evidence is somewhat mixed on whether or not they actually make a difference. We think about the far side, those who think about criminal justice as all being about science. In criminal justice, there are those who think about it uh, all being about the science of crime fighting. Those who heavily focus on the science of crime tend to presume that society wants, for example, the police to fully accomplish the mission of reducing or even eradicating crime. That's not necessarily true. Those who focus too heavily on science of crime fighting tend to underestimate or even ignore the human elements uh, at work in social policy making and the complex realities of crime and our institution of justice, political influences, power struggles, ideological decision making, and the citizens' own idiosyncratic view of how things should or ought to be done often shape public policy as much as science. As discussed in the module on procedural justice, citizens often care more about their perceptions of fairness in police citizen interactions than they care about whether the police are good at preventing or solving crime. To combat uh, extreme view of criminal justice as all being about science, we must not overlook the human elements. We must respect an individual's uh, and sometimes a group's perception of reality, even if their opinions are not empirically founded. However, we must uh, not steer completely, uh, uh, or we must not be steered completely by public perceptions at the expense of ignoring scientific facts. Okay, this might thwart us from implementing evidence-based practices, which are important to the ethical practice of criminal justice, as I pointed out earlier. To respond to the struggle, we might turn towards Aristotle's golden mean, where we attempt to find a balance between listening to citizens' perceptions and engaging them in meaningful dialogue where we're able to introduce research findings in a way that helps inform them rather than turning them away. No one wants to listen to the, well, actually, guy or girl, just as uh, the professor from The Simpsons trying to explain the science behind a toy to a bunch of kindergartners. To summarize uh, how this all applies to ethics, the bureaucratic model discussed uh, earlier uh, bureaucrats, those who fill various roles within a bureaucracy, are responsible for maintaining the technical knowledge associated with the position. In other words, society looks to criminal justice professionals to both make informed decisions within their particular domain of control and to inform public policymakers at the highest level concerning the best courses of action. For example, professionals working in the field are expected to have more knowledge than elected officials. When decisions uh, have to be made, the elected officials uh, look to local, state, federal criminal justice agents to tell them what they should do. Armed with technical knowledge, it should be uh, or will be up to you to communicate effectively with others who are less informed. This includes communicating with citizens who expect you to be informed. The ethical imperative is to be informed to use information wisely, and to communicate effectively with others. To do that, you have to know what type of sources to look at. You have to be good consumers of information. If you want to know more on the limits of, of empiricism, I encourage you to check out 
episode 39 from Philosophize this. I've embedded it in the module um, and it gives a good description of the things that I've been speaking about. Also, uh, there is a second podcast from Philosophize this uh, looking at a looking at positivism, a brief look at logical positivism. And so again, I encourage you to check those two things out.